morning, church. If you will, turning your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 14. If you're using a pew Bible today, you can turn to page 1002. And if you're here today and you do not have a Bible of your own, please feel free to take the one that's in the pew and, and use it as your own, that you may learn more of God's Word and, and grow in Christ. And So we're glad that you're here today. We continue in our series, Order in the Midst of Chaos. This will be part four, our last day together in order in the midst of chaos. And we pick up here in Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let us pray together. Father, thank you that we, the church, can gather today And Lord, that we can come to your word and that we can stand upon your word, your promise, your truth. We thank you that you not fail us. Um, God, you do not forsake us. God, we were once under uh, the master, Satan. And through Christ and the work he did on the cross, he destroyed the work of, of Satan in our lives, the church, and we can trust in Jesus. And Father, today we trust fully in Christ. We know that he has paid for our sins in full, Lord, he has left no sin uh, that is unaccounted for. Father, we thank you that all of our sins have been paid for. Lord, I pray today that as we look at order in the midst of chaos, as we finish this series, that once again we would be reminded that we live in the midst of chaos, in the midst of sin. Father, I pray for the church, Lord, that we would not walk around intimidated, afraid of the world of the enemy. Father, that we would walk around in victory, in boldness, and in truth with no shame. Father, because of the deceitfulness of sin and the wicked ways of man, the world makes us feel as if we're wrong for believing in your word. But Father, we look to you, who is the truth. We look to Jesus, Him providing the way for us. We trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to guide us. And I ask that today that would just be confirmed in our lives. We thank you, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. At this time of the year, you may be watching college basketball. It's about the only time that I really watch basketball on TV. Um, But when it comes to March Madness, and this week you probably get a little bracket, and you can fill it out, and it may be done at work, or it may be nationwide, whatever it may be, and you pick your teams, um, and you pick that final four, and then you fit, finally pick that one you think is going to win the whole tournament. Now, and I love this time of the year when it comes to college basketball, because normally when these teams go and travel and play at their opponent's house and their own arena and their own coliseum, it's very intimidating. If you go play Duke in their house, um, their fans are, are crazy. I mean, for a bunch of smart kids, they love basketball, right? Okay, and, and they come and they show up 
and, and they cheer on their team, and they find out things about every player. And, and that's made available these days because the players put all their information out on Facebook. And so what happens is when you actually go and play in that arena, they have looked you up. They know everything about you. They know your number. They know who your mom and daddy are. I mean, they're going to pick on you the whole ball game, And you're surrounded by this rabid fan base. And when you're there in this arena, it, it affects the way that you can play. Some guys rise above it, but many guys fall under the pressure and you just have such an intimidating atmosphere. Well, when it comes to March Madness and, and then getting to the Final Four, there's no more home court advantage, uh, per se. You, you all meet at a, at a location, and, and, and people can travel to this location, and, and there it's kind of an, an even playing field, or supposed to be. And so the intimidation factor doesn't play much of a role as it does in the regular season. I think about that for us. We live here on this planet, on this earth, and we face all types of pressure being followers of Christ. And it can be intimidating. And it can leave us feeling like we're the only ones who go through this. I mean, we we say, am I the only one who's, who's trying to live for Jesus? I mean, is it worth it? Because I'm not seeing anybody else who's really making attempts to, to love Jesus. That's why I I enjoy when we come together as the church, because you can look around and go, hey, I'm, I'm not the only one. Obviously, I'm not, and praise the Lord for that. Well, I love, though, watching some of these games in the regular season. When a team runs out onto the court, and they can be intimidated right off the bat, but instead they get into the game, and all of a sudden they start making a few shots. And when they start doing good, all of a sudden it begins to silence the crowd. Nothing better than going to somebody else's home court and beating them there. And I want it to be clear today that Jesus came down to this earth, to Satan's realm, because he is the prince of the air. Although God is over all things, Satan is the prince of the air. And Jesus came down to Satan's home court and wore him out. Okay, And he silenced the chaos. So as we're looking at order in the midst of chaos today, and if you're taking notes, you can write this, because this is the main point. I'm not going to give you three points in a poem today. I'm just going to give you one main point. Here it is, okay? Jesus established order by silencing the chaos. He silenced the chaos. Now you say, well, there's still a lot of chaotic things going on. Absolutely. But by the time we're finished today, this is going to make sense of how he silences the chaos. So read with me again in verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now we ask the question, do you feel like you're alone, okay, in in your walk with Christ, okay? And we're going to come back and answer that at the end, how Christ relates in that. But here's one thing I want us to see here in verses 14 and following, that we share in flesh and blood. All of us together, we share in, in flesh and blood. We have, we have skin that, that covers our bodies, that makes up our bodies, and then inside we have blood that, that flows through us. And as long as the blood is flowing through our bodies, we are alive, right? And so we have a beating heart that pumps out and pumps through the blood, and we have flesh. We all share this in common, 
All right, this is how God made us from the very beginning. Now, you may be tall, you may be short, you may be big boned or skinny boned. I don't know, okay? But God made us all different, okay? He made us of different colors, okay? And placed us in different areas around the world, right? And we, the church, can come together and know that what we do have in common is that we have flesh and blood, okay? That's how we were created. So he created us all the same. We have physical bodies and we have flowing blood, which is necessary. But we see something here that Jesus humbled himself and became just like us. He became just like us, which means that before Jesus came into the world, he was not like us, okay? He didn't have a physical body, okay? He didn't have blood running through veins. No, he didn't. He was spirit formed. Okay, that was Jesus before he came, okay? So he didn't have the, the long flowing blonde hair and the blue eyes as many pictures like to put him, right? No, he was spirit form. And so then he takes on flesh as he comes here to this earth. And we have this in common with Jesus, physical bodies. He had a physical body just like ours that could experience pain. He was tempted just like we were. And he had blood flowing through his veins just like us, but there was a difference. You see, his blood was not contaminated with sin. Our blood is. Within us, we're contaminated with sin. Now, not our physical blood, but when we're seeing it in the spiritual sense, we are contaminated with sin. But see, his flowing blood was different than all of ours. His wasn't contaminated. Not long ago, a few, actually a few years ago, um, Woke up one morning, got ready, went out, and, and I noticed that everybody was kind of panicking. They were buying bottled waters because something had gotten in the water here on this side of town. And nobody wanted to drink the water, and everybody's saying, hey, did, did you drink any water this morning? Hey, when you were showering, did you open your mouth in the shower? Did you drink water, whatever? No, no, I didn't. I don't think I did. Oh, no, I'm not sick. All right, so all of a sudden, everybody's panicking, and they're running to the stores to get bottled water because now the fear was that there's something in the water that's going to make us sick. Do you know that we are incredibly rich just by the water we drink every day? I mean, you probably have bottled waters like stored away in the trunk of your car. You know, you look at it and say, I don't need this anymore, and we just throw it away. But listen to this. When it comes to water around the world and, and those who are without, this comes from a ministry called Wishing Well. Unclean water accounts for 80% of the disease in our world. A lack of access to water robs children of 447 million days of school every year. In a world of progress, almost a billion people still lack access to something most take for granted. How many have water today? Just raise your hand if you have water, okay? I mean, you could get it anywhere, and, and we go to the water fountain, and we say, oh, that water, it's, it's too warm, or no, it's too cold, or, or it doesn't flow well enough for me, or, or whatever it may be. And we complain about our water source all the time, but we have water, right? Samaritan's Purse says that an estimated 1.5 million people die each year from diseases caused by unclean water, inadequate sanitation, and poor hygiene habits. Every day, 6,000 people die from dirty water. Every day, 6,000 people because of dirty water. And the next time we want to complain and say we don't have what we think we need, just consider the resource, the water that we have available to us. You see, when water's contaminated, okay, when it is dirty and it makes people sick and it brings forth a, a true physical death, I want to take that and relate it to the blood that flows through us, 
the bloodline of the first Adam. We're all contaminated with sin, which means we must pay the price of what sin produces, and that is death. And so we needed a Savior who would come, who didn't have blood like us, who would be in and of his own. He did not come from the first Adam. He would be the second Adam. So that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you trust in his blood to cover you, to make you new. No one in this room has the power in and of themselves because we come from the first Adam. You don't have the power in and of yourselves to defeat sin. You're a prisoner to sin. All of us a prisoner to sin without Christ. So let's be very clear on that. We're all prisoners to sin, but not only do we have sin-contaminated blood, all right, we have a sin-contaminated ruler, this being Satan. Now, in our culture, we like to look at Satan sometimes as this cute little guy uh, with a pitchfork, right, okay, and then with a pointy tail. We think that Satan's no threat. I mean, Satan's very much at work. But in the church, a lot of times, we can become intimidated by Satan. In fact, now Satan is at work, but many times we blame circumstances and we look to Satan and we say, that old Satan, he did this once again. Satan, I can't believe uh, he was able to do this. And, And we speak of him as if he still has power over us. There is an evil one, okay? There are demons. There is a spiritual warfare that's taking place that our eyes can't see, that is taking place all around us. Yes, this is true, but church, we don't have to be intimidated by the dark spiritual forces of this world. And it doesn't help when you scare yourself silly by going and watching these ridiculous movies about people's heads spinning around, right? I mean, don't feed into it. You know, we get so freaked out by evil because we subject ourselves to it. Stay away from it. Separate yourself from it. You have nothing in common with that anymore. And so not only do we have sin-contaminated blood, we have a sin-contaminated ruler. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You hear that? In which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So two things I want to point out here in Ephesians chapter 2. One, following the course of this world. There's a pattern in this world that everybody is following together, leading straight to hell. Okay, That's the, that's the common course of this world. All right, But then also following the prince of the power of the air. This is Satan being ruler on earth. Okay? And he wreaks havoc. We see all of this destruction. We see all of these wars. We see it's not going to end. It's not going to end while we're living here on this earth. There will continue to be wars. There will continue to be people who are against one another. Case in point, look what goes on in our nation right now. People say, what you believe offends me. So Christianity, be quiet. Keep it private. Don't mention these things because we need our, what, rights. Okay, here's what happens. All of a sudden, people's rights begin to conflict with one another. That happens over and over again in history. Christians, now's not the time for you to be silent. Now's not the time for you to be intimidated, to be afraid, to shut your mouth because you're afraid you may lose your job or whatever consequences that you fear at this time may happen to you. There is a course in this world and it is not flow to Jesus. It doesn't. And there's a prince, a a power of the air, who is not for God. He is jealous of God's glory and majesty. 
And we are a prisoner underneath this ruler until we trust fully in Christ. And we're going to see the work he did here on the cross. But follow with me again. Colossians chapter 2, 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, trusting that he died for all of your sin on the cross, he has died for every trespass, everything you've ever done against him, he has forgiven you fully by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So legally, before God, because of our debt, we should be judged to hell. That's where we should be. Let's make no mistake about that. But this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So what was nailed to the cross was our debt. The, and, and legally, we should have to pay for that. But Jesus paid for it on the cross. There was a payment made on the cross. It wasn't just an idea that God had. It said, hey, let's do this. Let's, I'm going to send you on the earth, and, and you're never going to sin. And then at the end, I'm going to put you on the cross, and people are going to or beat you, and they're going to kill you on the cross, and I'm going to raise you from the dead. And then years later, they're going to have pageants about it, and everybody's going to want to flock to the building to watch it, and that's what it's all going to be about. It's more than just that. You have to run deeper. There was a payment made on the cross. Amen? Do we agree with this church? There was a payment made. There had to be a payment made because we couldn't pay for it. We're powerless. We follow the ways of the world. Jesus didn't. And by this, verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. What is the point here that we're looking at in verses 14 through 18? Jesus died. Jesus died. And people are saying in this context, and the writer is writing to Hebrew Christians, he's telling them, listen, because Jesus died does not make him weak, does not mean he failed. No, he was victorious. Why did he die? Why did he become flesh and blood? Because we were flesh and blood. And we were failing. We had no hope without him. And we have Satan, this great accuser, that was defeated when Jesus died on the cross. You can look in Job. When Satan goes before the Lord, God says, have you noticed my servant Job? Have you seen him? Yeah, but he wouldn't be this way if you allow me to touch his family. Or if you allow me to touch his body, he wouldn't be that way. And here's what happens that we don't see. Satan has been accusing the church over and over and saying, how do they have hope? How are they going to be able to be called your children? Have you seen what they've done to you? Can you imagine just the things that we were never able to behold when it came to Israel in the Old Testament and how they were so unfaithful to God and yet God continued to show his love and he's saying, they're like a prostitute before you, God. They don't love you and yet you keep forgiving them? Kill them. They, they need to die. They need to die. See, he's a great accuser. and He accuses us. I know he, he look in my life, and, and there's so much that he would be right about before God. Saying, do you know Brian's problems? Do you know what he struggles with? Do you know what he thought that day? Do you know what he said that day? He, he's a Christian. There's no way. 
There's no way he can be a Christian. He's like a lawyer standing in a courtroom. The thing is, he has a lot of good evidence against us. That without Christ, he's right. Read with me in Revelation chapter 12. Now, when it comes to Revelation, we get into eschatology, which means the study of end times and how that plays out. And so today is, is not a point in saying, where do you stand in your eschatology, you know, when do you believe at what exact time Jesus is coming back? None of us know that for certain anyway. But the point that we're looking at here in Revelation 12 is to say that the great accuser is defeated. Okay, so look at we, with me in, in verse 10 of chapter 12. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Why is his time short? Because he will be cast into the eternal lake of fire. He will be destroyed forever. That time is to come. It will happen. But he is the great accuser accusing us of our sin. But we don't have to be afraid of this great accuser. It's better to just say, you know, you're right. I don't deserve eternal life. Some of you are getting caught up in Revelation. Come back with me here. All right, listen. I don't, eat, I don't deserve eternal life. I know all that I have done. Just shut up the accuser right there. You know when people come at you sometimes and they accuse you of something and you know they're right, but they haven't forgiven you? Finally, you say, you know what? You're right. I've wronged you. I've messed up. I'm a wreck, man. There's nothing I can do to take that back. I'm, I'm sorry. Now, we, we don't have to apologize to Satan. Don't hear me wrong here. But understand that even though we're accused and people may point fingers at us and say, you've done these things, how can you be a Christian? You say, you know what? That's a good point. Let me tell you how I can be a Christian. Romans 8, chapter 1. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's your hope today. That doesn't mean you go live a sin filled life because you have grace. No. That means that no longer are you condemned because of what Christ Jesus has done for you. Romans 8.34 points out that Christ is at the right hand of God interceding for us. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ. So as we're accused, we have an advocate in Jesus. Yes, that's right. Brian has failed, but Jesus Christ never failed. He is mine. I paid for him. I paid the price for him. We have an advocate on our behalf, Jesus Christ. This is our hope, church. So, we were once under this power of Satan of being accused, but also this fear of death. We don't like to talk about death. Death is final. Death brings so much pain. Death brings so many questions. It's hard for us to grasp death and, and the finality of death. But this is how the enemy works, that he threatens us with death. 
that when you die, there's an uncertainty of not knowing where you're going? Does God still love you? Will you be with God? What happens to your body when it's put into the ground? And see, this is why it's so hard for us to know that we're going to die when we're here on this earth. This is not fun. I know you probably didn't wake up and want to come to church today and talk about this. But here's why it's so hard for us to deal with death. When we look in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, He has made us beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart. We want to live forever. We have this desire to live forever, for it to never stop. The way many people choose in their sinfulness to deal with this is they don't want to think about death. They just choose not to think about it. They, they, they live everything they can live here on this earth, and they make it all about what takes place here on this earth. But the enemy holds this over us. This fear of death, what happens? And there's the, in the early church, what was going on here, the persecution of the church, is if you lose your life, would you still follow Jesus Christ? Would you still say that you love him? One time somebody came up to me and said, Brian, what, I, don't, I don't get it. You know, if somebody came up to me and said, do you believe in Jesus? And, and I had no choice to escape. And they were going to take my life because I say I, I, I believe in Jesus. You know what I would probably do? I would probably say no. And then later I would go and apologize. I'd confess that sin and I'd keep on living. Wouldn't you do the same? My response, I hope not. I hope not. What a selfish, selfish thought that our lives are worth saving by denying that God sent His Son for us and loves us and would die for us and give us hope for all of eternity. You say, I'd be one of those who would deny Him and then ask for forgiveness later. That's how many people live their Christian life. I'm just going to mess up. I'll just ask for forgiveness. Everything will be okay. That's not the point of grace. If it even costs you your life, will you still follow Jesus? Will you still proclaim that He is Savior, that He is Lord, that there is nothing that could ever happen to you on this earth that you would deny that He is the Savior? Think about that. Chew on that. May that be so real to us. Church. but we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear death. Why? Because the great accuser, the one who wants to come after you and maul you because you love the Lord, that being Satan, 1 Peter 5, 8, prowling around like that roaring lion, Jesus destroyed his work. This word destroy, and we see this in the text. He destroyed him. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. He does not have power over you anymore, church. It's time to quit being intimidated. This word destroy, it means to bring to naught, to render inoperative. It wasn't that Satan was annihilated on the cross. No, but 
his threats, his position over us was defeated. It means that physical death cannot keep our bodies in the grave. There will be a day in which we rise to be with Christ. The dead in Christ will rise first. So, bringing it back to what Jesus accomplished on the cross, his death was not defeat. It was not weakness. It was victory. He beat Satan on his home court. He came down here and he accomplished this great work, shutting up the enemy so that we have power over him. Verse 16, for surely it was not to angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Who does he help? The ones that have been promised. The promise that God made to Abraham in the very beginning. This is who he comes to help. And this word help means to take hold of, to to grasp at the cross. When Jesus died for us, he came to help us. He takes hold of us. In the same way, in in Mark 8.23, he took hold of the blind man by the hand. And and the one who couldn't walk in Luke 14.4, he took hold of him and pulled him up. And in the same way, in Matthew 14.31, when Peter was walking on water, and he begins to sink, and he's sinking, and he's sinking, and he reaches up to the Lord, and Jesus helps him up. That is the same idea, that is the same word. When he reaches and he helps us, he grabs hold of us. And what did he do when Peter was sinking? He didn't say, Peter, he he challenged, he said, "Why, why did you doubt? But he didn't let him go. He didn't let him just sink beneath. No, he grabbed him, and once he grabbed him, he was safe. Once Jesus takes hold of your life, you are safe. Not called to live a safe life, but know that you have a safe position in Christ. You have hope. You have security. You have confidence. I love this song, Love Lifted Me. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Jesus Christ, our great love, lifted us. When nothing else could help, he lifted us out of the waters of sin. We're sinking deep in these waters and he picks us up and we are safe in Christ. So no longer do we have a sin-contaminated ruler who is accusing us of all of our wrongdoing and wants to kill us. He has no power over us, but we have a righteous Savior. Verse 17, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, in chapter 4, we're going to look more at how Jesus is our great high priest and how he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. But I want us just to focus, if we can, in closing on helper. He is able to help us. He is able to help those who are being tempted. You're going to be tempted today. You may be tempted in the very pew that you're sitting in right now. 
You may have been tempted with different thoughts to get off track and think of things that you shouldn't be thinking about at this time. You're going to be tempted to cheat. You're going to be tempted to lie. You're going to be tempted to steal. You're going to be tempted to lust. You're going to be tempted to so many things. You're going to go eat today, and you're going to be tempted to eat too much, right? Let's be honest, South Georgia, right? Yeah, we struggle with these things. We have many temptations all around us. You're going to be tempted today. And you're not going to be able to win over in that temptation unless you look to your helper, Jesus Christ. Chalk it up as a loss if you try to go at that temptation alone. Yeah, you have power over the enemy, but not in and of yourself. But when you trust fully in Jesus. Here's what I want you to walk away today with, church, is that we look to Jesus whose body was broken for us and his blood was poured out so that when we trust in him, we have power over sin, but only when we trust in him because here's what happens when we don't trust in Jesus. We say, hey, look what I did. Yeah, I'm tempted with it. You know, I'm not, I'm not tempted with those things. You know, the rest of the men may struggle with that, but I, I don't struggle with that. Well, could it be that you struggle with pride? I don't know, Right? Maybe you don't struggle in certain areas. And we like to look and say, I don't struggle with that. But what is it that you do struggle with? What temptations are you falling to again and again? And we say, man, that old Satan, man, he keeps tempting me. It's your old way of life. Look to Jesus. You don't ever have to mention Satan's name. Get, get him out of your life, your thoughts. No, trust fully in Jesus. Because he gives you power over every temptation that you face. Every temptation. You see, when we put our trust in Jesus, it's not just so we can go to heaven. Amen? It's not just so we can go to heaven. I'm convinced that you can talk any child into praying a prayer and that they can think they're a Christian. Here's how it goes. Son, you like Mickey Mouse, don't you? Yeah, Dad, I like Mickey Mouse. Okay. What about this? Don't you want to hang out with Mickey Mouse? Well, yeah. I want to hang out with Mickey Mouse. That'd be great. How can I hang out with Mickey Mouse? Well, I'm going to take you to a place called Disney World. A lot of you know where Disney World is. You visit there frequent, Okay. Disney World. Let's go to Disney World. And when we go to Disney World, you know what you're going to be able to do? You can ride all the rides. You can meet all the characters. And Mickey Mouse is going to be there. Don't you want to be at Disney World? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, son, would you rather go to Disney World? Or would you rather go to the dump? Let me tell you what the dump is. There's a lot of smelly food there. It's disgusting. There's flies. You want to go hang out there or you want to go to Disney World? What you want to do? Disney World? Now, this may sound silly to you, but here it goes. Little Johnny, you want to go to heaven? You want to go to heaven because God loves you? You can go to heaven and you can be with Jesus. Is that what you want to do? Is that, is that what you want to do, little Johnny? Just say you want to do it. Just pray a prayer. Just say you want to do it, little Johnny. Or would you rather go to hell? It's hot. Satan's there. 
You don't want to do that. And little John says, no, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. Yeah, that's what I want to do. I don't want to do that. And if that's the extent, if that's the, is that as far as you go to telling your little kids about Jesus, you could be sending them to hell. You could be. You could be. Because they'll grow up the rest of their life thinking, because I, I have Jesus, I go to heaven. I wanted heaven. I mean, I didn't want hell. Church, study the word. Get past the elementary principles here and go deeper to what Jesus did for us. It's not just so that you can go to heaven. You can get, convince anybody that heaven's a cool place just as I can convince you to go to Disney World that it's a cool place. But Jesus did a work for you so that you can have life even while you live here on this earth. And some of you don't like that I just said that you may be leading your kid to hell, but we do when we do not teach them the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, he didn't save us just so we go to heaven. He saved us so he could be our advocate, so he could live through us, so he could empower us to have life while we are here. Because here's the idea. William Barclay points this out. The basis of the Greek idea of God was detachment. That God is here and you're here. You have nothing to do with God. You're, you're, you're to be fearful of these gods. But the basis of the Christian idea is identity. We relate with Christ. We're with him. We're wrapped up in Christ, wrapped up in the blood of Jesus. He became one of us so that he can help us. And he wants to help us. He knows what you are facing. He died so that we can rely on his blood. So what do you do about little Johnny and sharing the gospel with him? Do I not tell him about heaven and hell? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. But let him know that our blood's contaminated with sin. We're sinners. We're separated from a holy God. And, and Jesus is the one we put our full trust in. But then when we call upon Jesus, when we look to Jesus, is that Jesus now becomes the master of our lives to rule over our lives. Let him know that we do deserve hell. That, that's where we should go because we've offended a holy God. That salvation is a gift. That it's not due him. It's not due to any of us, but it's a gift of God. It's his love. It's his grace upon us. Teach him grace. And that this God doesn't want to be detached from us, that he's some way, faraway place, and we're just living here on our own. But no, he empowers us. He leads us. He guides us. So that as we are tempted, we can look to him. We say, but I feel so alone trying to live for Jesus in this day and time. You're not there in the university classrooms or in the high school classroom or in the workplace. I feel like I'm an alien. Exactly. They hated Jesus. What makes you think they're not going to hate you?
What do you do when Christianity is no longer a benefit to you in your life? To enhance you in the workplace. To give you better reputation in the workplace. What if Christianity now causes you to get demoted? Causes you to lose your job? Say, Brian, you're being extreme, am I? Would you still follow Jesus? Would you still love Jesus? We feel all alone, but you know Christ fell all alone on the cross when he took upon our sin. He can help you. And you never have to be alone. You don't have to be intimidated and defeated. And you don't have to walk around prideful and inflated thinking that you're doing something on your own, but your testimony can be Christ. Trust in Jesus. Men, can I give you this challenge? Don't be intimidated to lead well in your homes. You know what keeps you from leading well in your home? You know that your junk stinks. You know your sin stinks. You have so much going on in your life, and it can, you can feel like such a hypocrite trying to lead in the home. And so many times, what do we do? We step back, and we don't lead. Step up, and let Christ help you lead your homes. Moms, ladies, step up, and let Christ lead your life. Don't be intimidated to love Jesus. Don't be intimidated to tell your kids about Jesus. Don't be intimidated to go in the workplace and have a testimony that you love Jesus. You in the military, I know that they restrict you from sharing the gospel point blank, but that does not mean that you have to be ashamed of Jesus. I pray for you that you continue to be creative and sharing the gospel, that God provides those opportunities even outside the workplace for you to share the gospel. But as we close... You're going to be tempted. You're going to be intimidated by the world, by the enemy. Christ has defeated him. And you have identity with Jesus. You don't have to walk around defeated. And this is your hope as we one day stand before God. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. That's how you, church, that's how me being a part of the church will be presented before God one day without blemish as if we've never sinned. May your confidence be in Jesus. Do not be intimidated. May you have order in the midst of chaos. Live in victory, church. We come to the table today. And we eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We'll, we'll take the bread and we'll dip into the cup and, and we'll eat. Method call intinction. It's just... A, way that you come forward and you remember what Christ has done for you on the cross, church. This is for the church.
at this time. If you do not know Jesus, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, you're lost in your sins and you would like to know more about Jesus, I'm, I'm going to be standing in the back. We'll have some pastors standing to the sides over here. We'd love to talk with you about following Jesus. It's, it's recognizing that you're a sinner, that you fall short before a holy God. Place your faith in Jesus. That you can identify with what He did for you on the cross. And follow Him. Follow Him. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I place my full faith and trust in You. Forgive me of how I have failed You. I trust in You as my Savior, as my leader, as my helper. That's what you need today. So this, this table is only for Christians. It's, it's not that we're trying to be rude or disrespectful. It's, it's that it's only valuable to the church for what Jesus has done. And so when we come church, come to remember. When you come to receive, know that when you take that bread and you dip and you eat, that you're remembering your helper. So that as you are tempted this week, you trust fully in him. Maybe you don't feel led to come receive communion today, and you know what? That's between you and the Lord. If that's the case, you may remain seated. You may, you may pray, whatever God leads. But this isn't a moment where we look at one another. This is a moment where we look to Christ. And so may you come as he so leads. So um, you may be saying, hey, I'd, I'd, I'd love to learn more about joining the church, church membership, all these things. That's important. We'd love to talk with you about that. In fact, we have a membership class following this, but at this time, as we, we come to the table, may we remember all that Christ has done for us and how the enemy has been destroyed from having power over us. So let us go into a time of examination, a time of prayer, if we'll bow our heads. And at this time, as we've already looked early in the service, just examine your heart and, and just look to the cross. Be thankful, be grateful for all that Christ has done for us. And as I pray, when I'm finished praying, I'd, I'd ask that our men who are coming to serve and those who are going to continue to lead, if, if you will come up first, we'll serve you, and then, church, you will come forward. Father, we thank you that at this time, we look to remember what Christ has done for us, how his body was beaten, how he took on flesh just like us, how he had blood, but his blood was different than ours. His blood was pure. His blood brought healing, where our blood brought forth death. And, and Father, thank you that we can trust in Jesus. God, I just ask now that as we come to this table, that we would do so in a worthy manner of great respect and, and love and adoration for you. Salvation through Jesus. Through Christ and Christ alone. God, we ask that you bless this bread, you bless this cup, Lord, which we are about to partake. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.